You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading energy analyst David Leach. Energy Insiders is brought to you by Evergen, providing cutting-edge energy management software for battery optimisation, virtual power plants and distributed energy resources. And Pylon, helping solar installers and retailers design high-resolution solar proposals in minutes. Hello everyone and uh, welcome to this uh, latest session. Um, The title of this session is Why Green Hydrogen for Mines? And this actually doubles as a podcast, uh, an Energy Insiders podcast for Renew Economy. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy, Australia's uh, leading uh, source of information and analysis and commentary on renewables and the transition both in sort of um, electricity and transport. And we also publish the Driven.io, electric vehicle focused and one step off the grid, which may sound a bit similar to many of you, although it seems that uh, because your mind's in remote, you've actually got two feet off the grid already and wondering how to actually improve what it is that you're dealing with. Look, we've got a great panel uh, today who I'll introduce very, very shortly. Uh, We'll be finishing with some questions from the audience. So if you do have any questions, do please put them down um, in the appropriate form at the bottom of the page, and we'll see if we get to them at the end of the discussion. So joining me today, I'm delighted to introduce Catherine Holland, the Program Manager from BHP. Thanks for joining us, Catherine. Thanks, Giles. Great to be here. And we also have all the way from Rome, Italy, uh, Lorenzo Ducci, a hydrogen senior commercial officer with NL Green Power. Um, welcome, Lorenzo. Thanks, Gilles, and uh, look forward for this interesting discussion. Well, well, thank you very much. My phone's already gone off, which is really embarrassing. I'm going to switch that off straight away. Um, <laughs> also joining us is Rupert Maloney from the head of the hydrogen investment of the Clean Energy Finance uh, Corporation. Um, hi, Rupert. How are you? Hi, Giles. Thanks. Good to be here. And also joining us and uh, doubling up from the previous session is Thomas Mack, the Manager of Technology on Energy and Carbon Abatement at Rio Tinto. Thomas, it's been a very busy day for you, announcements and uh, all sorts of things. Uh, absolutely, it has. And uh, Giles, I'm looking forward to the discussion today. Yeah, it should be great. Look, we'll get rolling. Um, it's amazing. A couple of years ago, we wouldn't have even thought about green hydrogen, um, let alone for mines. It was barely a discussion um, on the radar, but now everyone's getting quite serious about it. Catherine, let's start with you. I mean, how are mines currently evaluating and investing in green hydrogen, um, given it is probably early days? Thanks, Giles. So um, as you're probably aware, and, and most of the listeners are, that BHP has clear goals in place um, to reduce its operational greenhouse gas emissions in line with the Paris Agreement. So we've got two key targets. Our public targets are our net zero operational emissions by 2050, and also the 30% reduction by FY30 off our um, FY20 baseline. And how we look at operations decarbonisation is that there's lots of different pathways and we do have a technology agnostic view. Um, For us, for BHP, green hydrogen, we see it has some potential to address some of the more challenging areas of emissions reduction. Um, And so for them, those key ones are industrial processing, so where we use hydrogen for its chemical properties. also for process heat where we need high heat in our smelters and refinery areas and also some applications in material movement. Um, With material movement, our current view is in general electrification will be an application, but there's some areas where it's going to be harder, especially with our ancillary equipment um, where we see a role for green hydrogen. Mm. Thomas, can I throw the same question to you? 
Yeah, thank you, Joel. So, look, we, we have a number of projects uh, under review at the moment um, to, to explore hydrogen adoption, um, primarily with our refineries. Um, elsewhere, we're looking at electrification. Um, but look, as, as you've heard today, you know, Rio Tinto's partnered with um, the Australian Renewable Energy Agency to study whether hydrogen can replace natural gas. Um, that obviously has with it um, significant engineering, um, significant R&D. And so that's what we're using, engineering studies and R&D studies um, in order for us to really assess uh, can we retrofit hydrogen into our existing um, operations. Um, more broadly across um, Rio Tinto and um, similarly to, to some of Catherine's reflection as well, uh, we see hydrogen um, as a, as a specialised product where we can't uh, have direct electrification. Um, so again, quite similarly, we see it in terms of uh, process heat, um, where we need direct combustion for certain processes in terms of steam raising or calcination. Um, we see it as a, as a replacement for uh, metallurgical uh, carbon, so for um, a direct reduction of, of metal oxides to metals. Um, we see it, again, in a, in a specialised way for mobility, um, for both above ground and underground. Um, again, uh, direct electrification there is, is the preferred pathway, um, but for hydrogen where, where we can't um, get there. And then, um, and then finally, uh, as, a, as a blending agent into, uh, into our uh, gas streams. Um, of course, cost is extremely important in that quotient, um, but, um, uh, but that's, that's where we believe that we can um, use hydrogen and we've got active investigations for that. Mm, you've actually just announced um, a, a project um, today with um, funding from Arena. So to what extent is that like a, a bit of a, a test case for what you might, the applications that you might then bring from a refinery situation to, to a mine situation afterwards? Yeah, so look, uh, we, we see there being quite a few synergies, right? Um, the, the learnings that we're going to get from our um, refining study um, in terms of safety, hydrogen storage, hydrogen um, uh, transportation, um, the combustion of hydrogen. We see all of those learnings from this arena study as then being uh, potentially applicable in, into our um, mining applications as well. Mm. Um, you know, the, the question mark around hydrogen, particularly at the scales that we're talking about, is that we, we really don't see it anywhere else in the world being used at that scale. Um, so, so that's what we're really focused on, on, on how we can bridge uh, some of those technical questions. Oh, Australia just loves to be a front runner. It's a lot of Lorenzo, let's bring you in now. Um, tell us about some of the business models that people are thinking about um, and sort of structuring these ideas and, and, and putting these things into place, um, given that it is early days, so business models might be hard to come by. Yes, thanks, Jill. So since the beginning of the new hydrogen business unit in Enel Green Power, we have been working on two different business models, which we called the co-located or Hydrogen Valley and the standalone. The co-located business model envisage an electrolyzer built close to our renewable plant in a behind the meter configuration. This means that there is a direct connection between the renewable plant and the electrolyzer that is going to constitute a unique system. And as far as this direct connection, there is this direct connection between those two plants. The closer you are with the off-taker, the better is in terms of competitiveness, the, the green hydrogen. The standalone business model instead envisage uh, the construction of the electrolyzer at the premises of the off-taker, 
connected to the grid and connecting only virtually to uh, the renewable plant through a power purchase agreement. This means that the electrolyzer will pay on top of the energy price the grid charges. But of course, the big advantage here is that as far as the electrolyzer can withdraw energy from the grid, it can increase the number of operating hours. So basically, the discrimination factor between these two business models is essentially the trade-off between the transport cost you have in the co-located business model, because you need to transport your hydrogen from that system, the renewable plant and the electrolyzer, to the off-taker, uh, compared with the uh, grid charges you have to pay in the standalone. Um, however, I would say that the context uh, where we developed and we are developing uh, those kind of business model uh, is quite different from the mining one. Instead, most of our projects under development are in, uh, in Europe, where you have off-taker mostly on-grid with no availability of land. Uh, we know that in Australia, most of the mines are off-grid with a lot of land availability. Therefore, we believe that the best business model could be the one that uh, envisage the construction of both the renewable plant and the electrolyzer at the mines. Uh, of course, this is, I mean, we can say that it's a sort of co-located because you have this direct connection between the renewable plant and the electrolyzer, but this model is subject to some conditions. First of all, the water availability, as I already said, the land availability and the quantity of the, of the resource. So if all these three conditions are satisfied, this business model is definitely the one, uh, the best one we can say for the mine, even because it provides the shorter time to market, is fully integrated with the, the renewable development strategy. And I would say that perfectly ties in with the overall decarbonization strategy of the mines, because you will build a renewable plant that will feed the electrolyzer to produce hydrogen, but will also have green energy that you can use for other applications to decarbonize those. Uh, to conclude, yeah, so uh, the, the big limitation of this model is, as I said, uh, the scalability that is related to uh, the condition I, I mentioned before, land availability and, and resources. Mm. We'll get to the barriers um, very shortly, but Rupert, um, just from the CFC's point of view, what, what are you sort of seeing, um, what are you seeing as the main applications for green hydrogen in the, um, in the mining community? Yeah, thanks, Charles. Um, we, 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 we're looking at both projects, but we've also recently completed a piece of research uh, with Edvisian where we looked at um, or the economic gap for hydrogen versus the alternative technologies across uh, 25 different end-use applications. And some of those are really relevant in, in the mining, on a mining site. So some of the key ones where, where that research showed, and it's backed up by some of the projects that we're starting to see coming through, um, is essentially displacement of diesel. Um, so trucking is a key one. Um, certainly long, ultra long haul, ultra heavy trucking into a site. Um, there's opportunity there. That's very difficult um, to have battery electric due to the nature of um, how heavy those trucks are and the distances they travel and the high utilization of those trucks. There's an opportunity there to convert those to hydrogen fuel cell trucks. And then obviously the big one on a mining site or on some mining sites are the, the dump trucks, the large mining dump trucks. Uh, again, it's gonna be very dependent on, on the mine itself and the use of those mining trucks. Um, but the, the research showed that there is a pathway over the, around about the next 10 years to have those um, of large mining dump trucks to be competitive against diesel. 
And when I say competitive, that's on a total cost of ownership basis. So we, we, we broke down um, not just the hydrogen and diesel, but the, the, the total cost of ownership of those trucks over their lifetimes. Um, the, but the key challenge across those end uses really is the availability of trucks. For sector, I know a number of mining companies are trying to take that on themselves and develop their own technology here. Um, but it's a, it's a real question for the OEMs. Yeah, I see in in mining trucks, I see it in um, heavy trucks. What If we look back at the EV world about five to ten years ago, uh, where the OEMs were dragging their feet and the customers had to bring them to market, and I, I see that playing out as well. Catherine and Tom, I wonder if we can go back to you guys and talk about some of the barriers that um, sort of, um, you know, Sort of facing the widespread adoption, um, I guess one of the things would be costs, and another one of the things would be what Thomas mentioned at the start, um, which is you know being sort of the first of the early adopters, which um, must always be a terrifying thing for a, a company of any size, I guess. Catherine, um, maybe you can start first with some of the barriers um, that concern you as you're approaching this technology. Yes, certainly. Um, so I'd probably say for for most applications. Um, for us, green hydrogen is not yet commercially competitive with other fuels such as diesel um, because of the cost associated. And as we've sort of talked through in a couple of um, the discussion points here, it's, it's that element of the producing, transporting, storing and using it, and all of those add together for the cost stack. Um, BHP recently uh, released a, a prospects blog on green hydrogen, which is, can be accessed off our um, BHP um, external website, which actually kind of breaks down what we see as the cost stack. So that cost stack is really challenging. Um, so we see it's really important to collaborate with others um, to help uh, you know, promote technology development and also cost development. Um, the other elements are probably things like such as safety, um, understanding how you can safely um, produce, store, use um, hydrogen on a mine site. Um, and also just the, the management of change component um, associated with, with changing it out and but I think that management of change component probably relates to whatever transition you have whereas the safety and the cost is probably more of a critical issue for us. What about mm. from your side Thomas? Yeah Catherine all, all very good points and, and I've got to say um, uh, aligned with with some of our thinking as well maybe I can just use an example around the the costs you know if, if we were to achieve a one dollar a kilogram hydrogen price um, we'd need um, renewable uh, power to come in at less than $20 a megawatt hour. So one of the key barriers that we see is really along this, this renewable power source, you know, 70% give or take of hydrogen's uh, total cost is, is the electricity price. So we really see that as one of the real central barriers in terms of uh, wide scale uh, commercial adoption of, of hydrogen. Um, Catherine, likewise, I think a lot of the, the scalability that I've talked to already uh, the safety aspects of, of hydrogen, um, it being a, a gas that has very different properties from natural gas and therefore it needs different standards, um, some of which haven't been developed, uh, different engineering solutions, different materials of construction. So all of these are new. Um, I don't think that they're insurmountable, the, the, the um, barriers, uh, but they still require uh, technology uh, development. So, so yeah. I think I think there's some of the additional examples uh, to Catherine's excellent answer. 
Thomas, I'm fascinated by your uh, target of $1 a kilo. Um, that's below, that's half of what the Australian government's target is, $2 a kilo by 2030, I think it is. Is $1 a kilo the, um, the, the magic equation to, to make hydrogen reasonable? Or was it just... Yeah, so, uh, Lars, I think that's very much on a case-by-case basis. Yeah. Um, we, we simply use that as, a, as an example. Um, no, yeah. Nothing more than that. But I just thought in terms of, you know, when, when you have a look at its comparative um, cost and requirements, that's that's kind of the, the scale of, of some of the, yeah. the issue that we're seeing. Lorenzo, perhaps you could help out here and, and, and give us a bit of a pathway to these reduction in costs because it's um, it's not going to be just in the uh, the cost of the electricity supply that Thomas has met, made mention, but also the cost of the electrolyzer. Um, We've actually been putting a map um, together. We've put a whole, whole series of large-scale maps of wind and solar and batteries and pumped hydro. We're now doing one for green hydrogen. And there's nearly as many projects in the pipeline, of course, from green hydrogen in Australia as there are wind farms here. Um, that's the sort of the scale of the ambition. Um, but, of course, a lot of those projects probably, many of them are about a decade away. But um, tell us about the way you see prices falling to make this technology um, competitive. Yes. Thanks, Gil. So, I mean, you already touched some uh, of, of, of the main points of this, of this answer. So, as my colli- colleagues already mentioned, the main elements that contribute to build the hydrogen cost uh, are CAPEX, uh, constituted by the electrolyzer, the BOP, the compressor, and the storage, and the energy cost. And even if all projects are different uh, and the price is influenced by the geography, we can say that energy cost and capex cover the 90% of the total hydrogen cost. Uh, looking at the energy price, uh, uh, a reduction on the LCOE is, is foreseen by 2030. For example, Bloomberg NEF has forecasted uh, a reduction of 10 to $15 uh, per megawatt on PV in Australia. However, uh, the impact of this reduction will not be so relevant on the hydrogen cost as far as for each uh, $20 per megawatt, you have a decrease of $1 on the hydrogen price. So what is really need, and Katrin already mentioned, is a reduction on, on CAPEX. Today, we can say that for the turnkey green hydrogen project, you can have a CAPEX of uh, 2 million uh, Australian dollars per megawatt, which means, uh, if I'm uh, not mistaken, uh, 1.3, 1.2 uh, US dollar per, per megawatt. And to target this famous uh, $2 per kilo as a target price for hydrogen, we will need the decrease uh, of around six times in CapEx. The interesting uh, things here is that if you confronted the evolution of the mainstream technologies like solar and battery, you realize that this reduction is not, uh, I would say, out of reach. Because in the last 10 years, both battery and PV uh, decreased of, uh, 10, of 10 times, uh, something like that. So, uh, I mean, we can say that we are when we were, when, I mean, the, the renewable was, uh, was at the beginning even on, on hydrogen. Of course, uh, we need to invest, we need to make, uh, to make uh, projects. You already mentioned that there are more than 228, uh, I think, uh, green hydrogen projects. Uh, electrolyzer manufacturers have set up a roadmap uh, to uh, scale up the, the, the technology and to reach that price. So I think that, uh, and this is also what the info providers say, that there are all the elements uh, that will help us to uh, bring this uh, this cost down. That is, the, I think, the really key 
for being for uh, let the green hydrogen being competitive in the future. Rupert, we've um, kind of agreed that it's not quite competitive yet, the technology. So that brings in a role for agencies like the Clean Energy Finance Corporation. Um, maybe you can give us an idea about um, the sort of the various funding options and um, how you might be lending some of the bagfuls of cash which are sitting on the edge of your desk. <laughs> Wish it was that easy. Um, <laughs> well, yes, yeah, so I'll start with us. Um, I have to give a plug to the CFC. So we, we have a $300 million advancing hydrogen fund. Um, and what we're doing with that is we're, we're looking to, it's within the broader CEFC mandate, so I should, should note that it, any, any deployment of capital um, within the CEFC needs to fall within the mandate, so it needs to be commercial. We're not a grant-giving organisation. Um, we can provide low-cost funding or very flexible financing. Um, we can provide uh, debt or equity. Um, we will look, and it's within our eligibility, to fund anywhere along that hydrogen supply chain. So obviously renewable energy is very much um, within our core. Um, the electrolyzer technologies within eligibility supply chain, so moving hydrogen around and even end use applications of green hydrogen. Um, so that could be, uh, for example, trucks, um, fuel cell um, electric trucks could be uh, within our mandate. So we will look to use that financing, um, that fle very flexible financing um, to help some of these projects. So that's what we're doing. Um, we're out there talking to a number of different projects at the moment, getting closer to deploying capital. Um, but it, it, there's no doubt that the commercials, as everyone has said today, the commercials are challenging. And uh, we'll work with um, our sister agency being ARENA, um, who, who's there to provide the grants. Um, all state governments as well have a role there and each of the state governments have their own strategies um, and are looking to provide funding support at the project level. So we're working with those state governments and ARENA um, to, to essentially get projects over the line because it's these early projects, these moving beyond pilot scale, that's, that's what's important here, getting to 10, 20, 30, 50 megawatt projects, um, prove up those economics, work through safety considerations and operational considerations, share those learnings um, before we move on to that next stage. And, and that's a key role for CEFC. Uh, so, yeah, CFC, ARENA, state governments, um, currently all looking at this. I'm well, just fascinated, actually. How long has the um, Office of Hydrogen Investment actually been created um, in the CFC? Uh, yeah, we, we were passed down an investment mandate in May last year. I, I believe it was May, around about that timing, um, from the Federal Energy Minister. Um, and that essentially, the way it works is that set up the Advancing Hydrogen Fund. Um, I've been on board about that time, um, leading up the platform. Uh, and, yeah, we've been pretty active um, in a number of the projects that are sort of public at the moment, but they, they haven't finalised their financing, if I can put it that way. And you're getting lots of applications? Plenty of interest. Um, but we're, we're in an interesting spot because we need to, the, the projects need to come together. They need to come together. There needs to be sufficient return there for, for equity and sponsors. Um, there needs to be sufficient return for CEFC, although we're, we're, we are highly flexible. Um, and then the gap there will may in the, in the near term need to be filled by ARENA or, or other government support. Mm. Catherine and Thomas again, I was wondering if you can tell us a little bit about the way you're sort of cooperating with other people um, in the development of these sort of strategies. Are you looking to work um, together? I mean, you're two big global miners. Are you working together? You're working with 
what sort of other sort of partnerships are you creating to get these technologies over the line? Sure. Um, so for BHP's perspective, um, we've established a green hydrogen heavy industry consortium and we're collaborating with Fortescue, Anglo-American and Hatch on that consortium. Um, and the purpose of that consortium is to um, share learnings and insights around and how hydrogen can be used in our operations globally. And um, I would say that's that's open for others to join. Um, needs to be through Hatches, the project management and governance facilitator, but that's been a wonderful um, opportunity to learn from others how they're actually applying hydrogen and, and, um, and working together. What about mm. yourself, Thomas? Yeah, great. So look, we, we see uh, collaboration to be really essential in terms of developing a, a hydrogen supply chain from end to end. Um, you know, and, and it's certainly part of, of us realising some of our um, climate targets and, and ambitions. Obviously, the partnership with ARENA has been announced today. Um, we also have other partnerships with, with other industries and, and engineering um, firms as well. Um, so, look, it's, it's essential in terms of, uh, in terms of developing a, an end-to-end -end, um, chain. Um, it, once again, I think if we step right through it, um, uh, you know, you need renewables and energy, the storage system, uh, you need um, a, an electrolyzer, producer, manufacturer, um, really to, to be creating um, a supply um, side. And then, again, we're looking very much at a demand side. How can we underpin that supply um, by the safe and, and effective um, uh, use of hydrogen in our facilities? And, and that requires partnerships. Um, when they then intersect, uh, at some point in the future, you know, we, we then um, can have a viable uh, viable supply chain. So, yeah. Mm. How close are you guys getting to actually in maybe announcing a project um, at a mine site? I mean, you talked about a refinery today, um, this, this deal here, um, Thomas. Um, can I put to you or Catherine about, you know, is there is there a mining opportunity somewhere that's been looked at? I'm happy to go. So for us, we're probably still at a, at a study phase. Um, most people will be aware that we were shortlisted for um, arena funding for um, our site at uh, Nickel West uh, Quinana Refinery. We weren't successful um, with that funding round. So we're, we're looking at other um, options for that. Uh, and similarly with our mines, we're, we're still at the study phase. Um, as I mentioned before, there is a lot of decarbonisation options. So we've got to weigh up the different um, options and then which ones um, more economically viable, we, we progress with those first. But I don't have anything to announce yet, unfortunately, on the mining side. What about you, Thomas? Yeah, I think quite, quite similarly, we're, we're really looking at um, uh, hydrogen fuel cells across our mobile fleet, um, both above ground, underground for, for trains. But a lot of that is at a, at a study phase at the moment for us as well. So, yes. Lorenzo, tell us about what the um, the opportunity opens up for large scale renewables in 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 mines um, with green hydrogen. Because um, obviously, I mean, as you alluded to at the start, um, if we want to this to be decarbonisation um, technology, then it will need renewables. I mean, do the near term projects lend themselves to places which already have a um, um, a certain amount of renewables at their mine site? I mean, we've, we've already come across, we've heard um, over the last day and a half of, of some that already do, or would it be like a Greenfields um, project? Um, and, and, and just what sort of scale can we be talking about um, for these projects? I think that what is sure 
drilled is that we will need a, a lot of amount of green energy. So if you consider, for example, that a mining truck can consume around 200, 250 tons of hydrogen per year. So for example, with the mines with 15 to 20 uh, trucks, you will have an overall consumption per year of 5,000 uh, tons of hydrogen. This means uh, that you would need uh, 300 gigawatt hour of energy per year. So it's a huge already amount of, uh, of, of green energy that of course, uh, uh, will need uh, uh, to develop a large-scale renewable project. But this is only if you look, I would say, at standard business model. So if we are going to broaden our perspective, maybe as uh, Catherine and Thomas already said, so looking at different business models that could be, for example, starting to look at producing green steel, green aluminium, using hydrogen in refineries, because this is what hydrogen allows us to do as far as it has different applications. Uh, I would like to remark that in energy power, we believe that hydrogen is a complement to electrification. So electrification is the cheapest and simplest route to decarbonize, and hydrogen could be the, the perfect complement. But at the same time, it has very different applications. So if we uh, broaden our perspective, then the opportunity for large-scale renewable are, are even more than the, uh, than the, the mining trucks. As I said, uh, and I give you an example of our project in uh, in Chile. In that case, uh, we will need to produce the A fuels a huge amount of green uh, of green energy, and that green energy can be used not only, as I said, for producing green hydrogen, but also to decarbonize other processes within the within the mines. Mm. It's quite a stunning number that you actually produced there for you know to have twenty big trucks and the amount of the, um, the amount that they would need and consume in three hundred gigawatt hours, um, which I guess equates to something like about sort of fifty or sixty megawatts, and I might have that completely wrong because I just can't do the calculation on top of my head. But it's a, that's a that's a significant amount of renewable um, capacity. So you're either talking about really really large mines, but I guess you're also talking about mines which are going to have a long life as well because that's a lot of investment in in um, infrastructure that um, needs to deliver a return. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That, that, that's, I think it, it's, it's another point. So uh, you, you need huge investment, that's right. But uh, I mean, green hydrogen, as I said, will become competitive. Uh, it's not a matter of if, but it's a matter of when, because uh, I mean, the expectation on the reduction on CapEx uh, is, uh, is, is there. So I, I really believe that, uh, I mean, we need to be fir first mover on, on that. But I mean, uh, it's a pleasure today to listen from Catherine and Thomas that uh, miners are already thinking on that seriously. Mm. So, so Catherine and Thomas, I'm throwing back to you, and we just heard about the scale. So when you're thinking about these mine applications for these various technologies, I mean, is it then, you're not just talking about a couple of turbines and a couple of megawatts of solar panels, you're presumably thinking in terms of vast arrays um, of, you know, quite significant scale. Yeah, it is um, huge, particularly when we look at our hubs, uh, where we have several mines uh, close to each other, such as in the Pilbara or over in Queensland, um, the scale of um, renewables that you will need um, if you're doing direct electrification or if you're doing hydrogen is, is, is huge. <laughs> I totally agree. Yeah, but I yeah. think it's fantastic. It's a, a really exciting time um, for us to be having this conversation and it's a reality that 
most of the main mining companies have um, public targets that they're working towards quite aggressively um, to decarbonise, which is great. Mm. Thomas, on that line, I mean, big arrays of wind and solar, might these be shared resources or do you think it's going to be sort of proprietary stuff like you might see in some of the transmission lines and the other infrastructure that already exists? Oh, look, I think I think we've been talking about um, energy supply chains, right? And so they can come in all, all shapes and sizes. I think it very much depends on, uh, on the application. Um, so, look, we're, we're certainly looking at what it would mean for us, um, what solar and wind... Uh, needs um, similar to what Catherine has said, uh, the sheer scale is is at you know uh, you know some of the world's largest um, kind of solar and wind requirements. Um, so so certainly that I think is is a challenge. And uh, again, to the partnerships piece that we talked about, we we can't do it alone. We need it with uh, to to develop partnerships, and um, you know that's that's kind of the the path forward there for us as well. Yeah. yeah. Just in, um, inviting any um, listeners to, if you do have any questions, please do it on the chat page. We'd love to hear um, any um, any questions that you've got for the panel. So um, we'd like to get to them as um, when we can. Um, Rupert, um, just tell us a little bit about sort of what you're thinking about. Sort of, you know, um, we talked about sort of you know the increasing scale, how that sort of gets to the point where we're actually exporting hydrogen. We we hear a lot about hydrogen exports in various forms, ammonia and things like that. I mean, presumably, when you're talking about big scale, you're talking about a lot of redundant capacity. Um, therefore, you're talking about sort of you know sort of scale of markets that may open up. So. I kind of imagine that if you're going to be building these large-scale arrays, then they're going to be multi-purpose and not just for a mine site, not just for a bunch of trucks. They're going to be sort of doing all sorts of different, you know, sectors of the market, including exports. Uh, yeah, I think I think you'll get a bit of that, but if, it depends what, what we're talking about here because I think it's a staged approach. We're talking about large-scale um, captive use um, on, on a mine site, for example. We are talking very large numbers. There's no doubt about that. Um, they will be built for those purposes and they need to, the point as well is it's not just solar um, because running an electrolyzer for the next 10 or 20 years with capital costs of electrolyzer at 28 or 30% of the time when the sun is shining doesn't, is, is a very high cost solution. It needs to have a higher load factor. You need to be getting up. We think about the current capital costs up closer to about 75% or 80% of the time. So in I'd order agree. to do... Yeah, in order to do that, you need a real mix of solar and wind. So I think a lot of it's going where it's possible, it's going to be grid connected. Um, we're going to be using the transmission grid um, where it's possible. I understand it's not possible on a lot of mining sites, um, but to get those load factors high is important. And then and then you move on to the export scale. Um, and they're, they're planning a lot of the export projects under um, planning phase and moving to feed stage at the moment. Um, they're planning their own renew new build uh, renewable energy, um, and and they're is very very much factoring that into where they locate those export facilities because it's a it's a play on where's the best renewable energy resources, i.e. the lowest cost um, levelized cost of energy for renewable energy. How far away is it from that demand setter being a port in that case? Um, and, and so are you moving the molecules? Are you moving the, the electrons through the transmission lines? Um, and then, uh, so to get to that, that lowest cost. And then for some, and then you get into the world of, is it ammonia or is it liquid hydrogen or another carrier form? And certainly liquid hydrogen has another energy dim dimension when you're liquefying. Um, so 
there's a there's a number of big projects looking looking at those questions at the moment. Mm -hmm. A couple of questions came come have come through from the audience. Um, first one's for you, um, Rupert. Um, does the CFC have public information on TCO for dump trucks? Major mining companies appear to be going the battery route, aware of one development in South Africa of a hydrogen truck. What can you tell us about that? Uh, yeah, so we, we the the research I mentioned before, you can find it on CEFC's website. Um, there is some information on TCO. It is worth putting a caveat on that. It, it is at a, at a project level. Um, it's at a research at a at the level above, um, but it's taken a, a whole lot of inputs, level information um, to come up with the, those TCOs. So there's some graphs in that report. Um, and it's comparing it not only to um, ICE, so diesel, but it's also comparing it to trolley assist and battery electric. So um, we, we looked at the alternatives. Um, I, I know Catherine and Thomas have done a lot more detail than that at a project level, um, uh, but, but it is a, it's a data source uh, to look at that. So that's, that's in the research that you can find on the CEFC's website. Catherine, batteries are hydrogen. Um, so for us, as I, as I mentioned before, for most material movement applications, it's more likely to be electrification, but there might be some applications for fuel cells. Um, in terms of that question around public information, that the Prospects blog that I mentioned that BHP published recently um, does have our um, view on some of the cost breakdown elements, um, which you, it doesn't give you exactly the magic number that we use <laughs> for what we think is for dump trucks, but it gives a pretty good indication. It's the most, um, uh, you know, public information that we've kind of shared around our cost views before. Okay. Um, here's another question. Um, hydrogen means big investments and big business. Are big mining companies looking for global alliances with big clean energy supplies such as Enel Green Power? Well, maybe I'm going to reverse the question and ask Lorenzo, is Enel Green Power being approached by big mining companies um, to find out how much you can produce and at what price? Uh, I, see, I, I mean, absolutely yes. I mean, we are looking for for partners in uh, in developing green hydrogen project because we strongly believe that we are at the beginning of the big challenge. So we need to to work together to uh, to lower uh, the cost because today we know that green hydrogen is not competitive. But uh, what we can bring is definitely our capabilities in developing renewable big renewable project. And we understood today that we need a lot of green energy. So I think it's very important to be together uh, today for this project, look at, looking at partnership that will help us uh, to study the solution. And of course, uh, with the direction of reducing, uh, reducing costs. So we are not already in a stage of looking for a buyer for the green hydrogen we are going to produce because we know that mine are not ready to take that because there is a technology gap we need to to fill together. Mm -hmm. Thomas, from your point of view, is that, um, is that is that about the case? I mean, presumably you're sort of uh, canvassing all the different options and different potential suppliers, but um, not yet ready to talk about the actual supply at this moment. Yeah, look, uh, absolutely. And and in a lot of our studies, uh, we're we're certainly looking at partnership opportunities, supply uh, options as well. So. Um, yes, not ready quite yet, um, but uh, but certainly we're we're in the mix there. Yeah, there's another question here about the um, about metal supplies. Um, in light of the current market comments about metal supplies and the surging costs of copper, etc., how do you see this feeding into the issue of reducing the capex of green H two production? 
Um, Thomas, do you want to have a crack at that one? Yeah, look, that's that's a really interesting question and, and one where if you have a look at overall production costs, um, you know, will factor in. Um, certainly, um, the, the supply chain costs are going to then make an impact on renewables. It's going to make an impact on um, uh, you know all of the all of the costs in a in a total end to end value chain. Um, so yes, as more and more renewables uh, are built, as there is greater um, requirements for metals, we're going to see some prices go up. Um, equally, though, as the scale of of production, we might see the capex come down. So really, it's it's a, a question. Um, about the, the future outlook, um, you know, we're, we're hoping that, uh, that renewables come down overall, um, but it's yet to be proven. Just a follow up from that one, um, and uh, maybe for Catherine or maybe for um, Lorenzo, uh, we've heard that electrification is preferable to hydrogen wherever possible, and cheap hydrogen demands very cheap electricity. Would not cheap electricity minimise the opportunity for hydrogen at the scale necessary to reduce costs along the lines of wind and PV cost reductions, i.e., is this a self-limiting process? It's an interesting question, isn't it? Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to take that one. And I would probably say that's been one of our conclusions when we've, we've done detailed studies. We've developed dynamic cost models of hydrogen looking at different learning curves and how we could see... Um, what are the different elements of the cost stack and what needs to happen? And I would agree with that conclusion um, to, to a certain extent. Um, yeah, you, you need it to be really, the renewables to be really, really cheap. Um, and then you go, well, then why don't you just use the renewables? But then that goes to the point that Lorenzo was making before about hydrogen as a complement to electrification. So where you need hydrogen for its chemical properties, um, such as in refining um, or, or smelting some elements. If you need really high process heat, um, hydrogen is a good application and where you can't lose it, use electrification. So in the material movement case, um, in many instances, haul trucks are going the same route all the time. So um, it's most likely you can do electrification. If you have some equipment um, which doesn't have a standard route um, or has, um, you know, longer routes, then that might be an application for hydrogen. But yeah, I do generally agree with the, the conclusion of the, uh, the audience Lorenzo. member. Does Lorenzo have anything to add to that one? Oh, Catherine, thanks. I think you perfectly explained my, my, my thought as well. Maybe the only thing is that, uh, yes, of course, hydrogen as a feedstock is, is an application that cannot be uh, done by, by electrification. But sometimes also some electrification applications uh, are far from being uh, uh, mature on, on the technology point of view, while the hydrogen one could be more, uh, more ready. And on top of that, I will add that some hydrogen applications have uh, less uh, investment needs to, to be applied. So maybe also in this case, we can uh, consider hydrogen as a possible uh, solution. I, I guess, Lorenzo, it comes down to the uh, cost of electrolyzers to a large degree. And in Australia, I think uh, the electrolyzer so far is is just one megawatt. And of course, we need to get to a scale. I'm just thinking back, you know, we, you compared at the start of this discussion to solar and battery storage. I mean, how certain are we that electrolyzers will follow that same cost path? <laughs> not, not an easy question, uh, Jill. So, no, I mean, as I said uh, before, we, we met different uh, electrolyzer manufacturing and all of them, so most of them, has clearly expressed uh, the intention of reducing the cost uh, through a roadmap that will scale up their, uh, their uh, production, uh, the production processes. Another thing that we can say here is that the 50% of the CAPEX is the electrolyzer stack. 
So it's up to the manufacturer uh, to uh, reduce that cost. But the other 50% is the BOP. Uh, in that case, I think that there is uh, space to lower that uh, thanks to the, to, to, the, to, to the economy of scale. So both of these two have huge potential in terms of, uh, of, of reduction. So not only the technology itself, but also all the components uh, that are related to the, uh, to, to, to the technology and to run the, uh, the plant. Um, Rupert, can I just throw one final question to you that, um, and, and that needs to be a short answer, I think. Um, CFC is not really looking to sort of support sort of wind and solar projects per se, but would they actually do that in the context of the hydrogen economy, given that the further reduction in wind and solar, and I guess that's the upfront capital costs, need to be reduced quite significantly for hydrogen to be um, viable? Yeah, no, we definitely look at, there's a whole lot of enablers for a hydrogen economy. Um, certainly renewable energy is a key enabler um, and the costs. And so we'll look to support the right projects um, in that sense. Also um, innovation as well. Um, the, the hydrogen supply chain, we need more innovation. We need to bring down those costs through innovation. We also have an innovation fund that's actively looking at opportunities. Um, some really exciting innovation coming out of Australian R&D and Australian universities. So. Um, we'll have more to say on that shortly. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're looking across all the enablers. Good stuff. Well, I think we're just about to come to the end of our allocated 45 minutes. So I'd just like to thank all our guests. And Catherine um, Holden from uh, BHP, thanks for joining us. Rupert Maloney from, from Clean Energy Finance Corporation. Uh, Lorenzo Ducci from NL Green Power and uh, Thomas Mark um, doubling up on thank two different sessions you. from Rio Tinto. Thank you very much. Um, thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for listening into this session, which doubles up as an energy of um, as an episode of Energy Insiders. You can find us on the Renew Economy website, and I look forward to more discussion and more announcements about the green hydrogen economy as we go forward. So, thank you very much, everyone. Energy Insiders was brought to you by Evergen the market-leading renewable energy software business that optimises residential and commercial solar and battery systems. Evergen enables large numbers of systems to operate as a single fleet, so network operators can use them as a virtual power plant, generating significant value for consumers, network operators and the energy system as a whole. Evergen Software is powering the energy system of the future. Energy Insiders was also brought to you by Pylon. Pylon provides easy-to-use solid design software for installers and retailers with pay-as-you-go pricing, no monthly cost and no locking contracts. Join Australia's top solar companies who trust Pylon to design high-resolution, CEC-ready solar proposals.